The O3C Podcast is a proud member of the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the O3C Podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my excellent friend, Chris Dow. Relentless, but fragile. Sounds about right, doesn't it? <laughs> and we are chatting about video games... Do you like us? Or rather, do you like this show? Because I'm going to give you a quick rundown of ways that you can let us know exactly that. If you go to patreon.com slash O3C games, you can pledge as little as £4 a month. And in return, we'll give you all sorts of things, really. You get some bonus episodes, you get some deleted scenes, you get access to our lovely Discord alongside other contributors and just wonderful people that we have swept up along the way since our inception four or so years ago. You can also, for this season, start watching these episodes in video form, unedited, uncut, and without adverts. Put your knob away. (laughs) So that's another little treat that you may wish to enjoy. If you want to find us elsewhere on the web, we are O3C Games on pretty much everything. And of course, we also have our website at O3C.Games, where there are articles, reviews, other bits and bobs that we occasionally add to and write. And it's also a nice central repository of every episode we have ever recorded, which at this stage is about three and a half million, give or take. Another thing you can do, which really helps us out far more than people appreciate, is a quick rating or review on any podcast platform that allows it. The more engagement we receive in this way, the more chance there is of us kind of being boosted in algorithmic tables up and down the internet land and hopefully bring in some new blood to enjoy the show as much as hopefully you have to this point. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of our most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan-favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest deals. Happy holidays from HyperX. So we're back, and we hey. are back with another Playdate episode. Hey. We're going to be chatting about uh, the latest couple of games that we've played in the first season of Playdate games, those being Flipper, Lifter, and a quick memory. But before we dive into the little yellow machine without a backlight, we're going to tell you what we have been playing this week. What are you buying? What are you playing? I'm going to start because I've got something to lay at your feet, Chris. Yes. And that is... 23 logged hours playing Arcade Paradise. (laughs) Yeah, you sold it to me uh, last week. And I've had just a fantastic time playing it. It's just so, so lovely. It's got a fantastic balance. Uh, It's got that just right between all the different elements in play from the daily chores of the laundrette to like the money management side of running it all and developing the arcade. And then obviously like the meta game of getting the arcade cabinets like running as efficiently as possible by completing goals or tweaking their placements. Like I, I was genuinely looking forward to the start of every day so I could <laughs> clean up the rubbish and pick off pieces of gum, which is madness. Yeah, I, I yeah. love it. There's a bit in the middle of the game when you're sort of really transitioning between 
running a laundrette to support an arcade and running an arcade and the laundrette kind of starts to become irrelevant. And I found it quite stressful during that period because yeah. like, I really wanted to play these arcade games, but then I knew that like an alert could ping up any second saying like, oh, your wash is finished or your drying's finished. Even if I was playing like after hours, there was a chance that, you know, like a machine could break down or the toilet could block up or, or, or anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, and you're losing money. Dirty toilets is lost money. Words to live by. And <laughs> it was really, really nice to get to a point where I could just focus on playing the games, ditch the laundry, because like the games in the arcade cabinets are really, really good. Yeah. There are some very clever ones as well. You mentioned blockchain, which is yeah. like the sort of drop puzzler. And it's a genuinely genius mechanic and one that I haven't seen done in a game. It's one of the games that I, it doesn't feel like it's riffing on another game or doing yeah. something that I've seen before. And I genuinely think that that game would do well if it was released on its own. There's a really fun game that I've enjoyed called Racer Chaser, oh, which yeah. Yeah. brilliantly fuses Grand Theft Auto with Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoy that. Like, you basically... Instead of being a, a, a Pac-Man going around a grid, <laughs> uh, being chased by ghosts and collecting dots, you are driving a car around a city, top-down style, like a classic Grand Theft Auto, and you're collecting little bundles of cash while trying to avoid the cops. And it's really good fun, especially because if you do get caught by the cops, you then escape on foot. And you've got a chance then to run and try and find your way back to a car to steal and then carry on. So it's not quite as uh, as final as Pac-Man where yeah, it goes gets you, you're dead. I just really liked it. It's a really clever, clever thing. There are some very well-made, you can't really say parody versions. What would you say? Like analogs? They're like pastiches. Yeah. Pastiches of, of like classic games. I really enjoyed uh, Super Hexagon as an arcade cabinet, <laughs> Gravy Chase, oh, yeah. uh, but it is essentially Super Hexagon, and that's uh, that's really good fun. There's a really good breakout game where you play as a sausage dog, uh, essentially <laughs> playing fetch with himself, and that is beyond wonderful. The fact that the, <laughs> the traditional like paddle extension power up that you get in all of those like breakout games just makes the long dog longer. He's, uh, <laughs> he's just wonderful. He's just a lovely little chap. It was quite a treat. I spotted a little sticker of him on the wall of the arcade as well. Yeah. Uh, There's some nice little little stickers around that kind of reference other 90s and 2000s culture as well. Yeah. So there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. some cool little, cool little nods in there. It's nice that there is this kind of little universe that exists within this game yeah. with like characters like crossing over between games and things like that. And I even really like how the area that you're in, that is being developed at the same time that your yeah. arcade is. So like, so when you start, you're in this rundown laundrette in the rundown area, there's rubbish everywhere and graffiti and, and everything's kind of boarded up around where you are. And by the end, like, you know, you've got this like plush block of flats. There's like trendy, like studio space or something. And it's all just marvelously like nineties in the way that it's styled all the signage and everything. It's just, yeah, it's very, very good. It's a shame that there are a few games, the arcade games that just, don't work or just <laughs> or just aren't good yeah specifically yeah. there's two the the table football game yes. is nigh on unplayable oh, it's and, horrendous and the uh, the pool game like you get a pool table at one point yeah. it's not jimmy white's is it 
is it's certainly not Jimmy White's, <laughs> and it's a real shame because I, I like I love a good pool game. Like, yeah. I could uh, if there were like loads of goals and difficulties and stuff like that, I'd spend ages playing that. But it's just really it's horrible. It's it's not nice to play. It's not yeah. responsive or reactive, and it's it's got some b- visual bugs in it as well. So you always see the AI just spearing the cue ball as opposed <laughs> to actually hitting it. <laughs> Very aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a few other little bugs here and there in the game. I'm sure, like, you know, a few of these little technical blips will get resolved in future patches and stuff like that. But it is easy to forget that, you know, indie games, very small team. But this game is huge in terms of its scope, in terms of how much stuff is in there. And and, and the quality of it is 95% absolutely top draw. Yeah. I found myself, like, really quite compelled by the overarching story as well yes um, you yeah know, really, uh, really like, shockingly so there might be spoilers. yeah yeah like it felt like a very real strained relationship with like the overbearing parent and the child disappointing them you know no matter how well they do at what they love and there's this really really poignant moment late in the story where like your dad finds out that you're basically running the laundrette as a front for an arcade and he just puts it up for auction and sends you to work in a meat packing factory. And yeah. it is, it's devastating. And you're left just taping up boxes in this factory as the days go by, just transfixed by the monotony of it whilst replaying conversations with your father in your head. That's grade A storytelling right it's there. It's really good. Really Absolutely good. fantastic. And when you kind of reach that point of independence, when you get the arcade, I, I was, I was, I was genuinely welling up and shiver went up my spine as I as I hit the button saying purchase property you know it's just it's really rewarding every step of the way and even like now I've seen the end credits roll bought all the arcade cabinets I haven't quite got all of the the upgrades and and I certainly haven't completed all of the goals for all of the individual takes a lot of time. games you know I do plan on going through and checking off quite a few of them because it's really really good fun there's three DLC machines yeah for the arcade which I bought and they're great they're really, really great. They're well worth the three pound I paid or whatever for for them. And it feels like it's such an easy game to expand upon. So once they've done kind of getting the main game kind of where they want it in terms of quality, which is like I said, like ninety five percent there, they can just keep rolling out updates, you know, and, and and packs and and more songs for the jukebox. And oh, now you can expand to this area and here's space for more things. And now here you can run a, a strip club. i think they do have a roadmap for other machines like obviously that first batch of three as dlc has come out semi-recently and i think there's another i don't know six nine something kind of on the roadmap so there will be more in the future i can't thank you enough uh for selling me on it because uh (laughs) it's just superb it's a real gem the fact that i got it for like for about 10 quid or something like that it's it's just it's it's it's, it's, not nothing (laughs) (laughs) Arcade Paradise is the only thing I've played this week. Really? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I've, I've done my due diligence for our playdate segment. I haven't just neglected the job at hand. <laughs> but in terms of other games that have occupied me, every time I sit down on the sofa, I'm loading Arcade Paradise on the TV. Yeah. Every time I'm killing a bit of time laying down before going to sleep, I'm playing it handheld. Like, the hours are mounting up. <laughs> mm. And I'm really, really glad you've enjoyed it as much as you have as well. 
because obviously we have tastes that overlap in places, hmm. but I think it's quite rare that a game hits as well as this for both of us. Yeah, I can't think of the last time where we were both like really, really just avidly playing the same game. Yeah, I mean, you get stuff like Elden Ring, for example, that obviously is your favourite now of all time and something for the 30 or so hours I was sucked in, I, I really enjoyed. Mm. But I can reflect maturely and think, I know this is a really excellent game, but I also know it's not really my game. You know, yeah. it's something I really enjoy, but it's like it's just a bit outside of what I go for. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, you could say something like Virtue Racing. You mm. picked up after my gushing endorsement. I'm sure you were able to say, I've had fun playing this game and I may also play it in the future rather than getting utterly obsessed with it like I did for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's just different strokes, isn't it? I think Arcade Paradise has been such an immediate hit for the two of us that I've since been recommending it to pretty much anyone who'll listen. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone at work, anyone in passing. <laughs> like, do you want a game yeah. to play? <laughs> Just shouting down the Arcade street. Paradise. <laughs> As you mentioned earlier, despite it being a simple management with minigames type affair on the surface, it's doing a lot more than that. And I think that comes down to the interesting ways it kind of, you know, gamifies its world, the constant stream of goals and tasks, but also, like you said, with its narrative, which is way stronger than it deserves to be for this framework of a game yeah you, you kind of don't expect it to be like that you know you've got the relationship you mentioned that with your father is kind of the overarching thing that drives the whole game but you also have the more playful relationship with your sister that you get told mm. over instant messaging and then there's other story strings that are delivered via emails as well and they're all just cool ways to expand the world a little to make it more than just a game of spreadsheets and tick lists and menus i really liked the email stories in particular because they're tied to high scores in games mm, it's very clever and then when you hit a milestone you might get an email from a stranger saying hey saw you had the high score on x and i've just beaten it with a score of y and then from there you kind of trade best scores back and forth with each email then holding just a bit of narrative about them as a character and a person they're all totally optional they're not tied to achievements they're not tied to anything in game but they're just other really clever ways to again engage you with different things so when i was playing ugh, fucking Woodgal jr a really simple just press either left or right to cut down a tree it was because i knew if i could just get a few more on my high yeah. score i'd get the next little email from someone called sam i'd find more yeah. about their predicament i yeah i got sucked <laughs> in by exactly the same thing and uh, unfortunately well i say unfortunately the way that it sort of generates the challenge is it's not like oh you've you've got a high score of 30 see if you can beat my high score of 40 yeah. and then if you like get like a score of like 200 it'll be like <laughs> yeah i'm never getting that you always then put like <laughs> yeah, yeah. you always do your latest high score plus one or something which means that for example if you got in real life the world record score you'd still get sam coming back going <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, just beat it and then like great so i've just now got to i've got to defy all expectations world to beat that again one. yeah and i thought yeah. with Woodgale jr i'd got on like a massive like straight with it and i've got like a really good score of like 150 something and i was like right there we go and you're never beating that you prick <laughs> Uh, and then he's like oh i just got 161 and then because i had this back and forth with with like somebody else for another game i saw like oh, okay so the pattern was they came back like three times and then they said oh never beating that thanks yeah so i was like okay i know that if i can just beat this score that'll be it so i just settled in for a sesh and i got 471 <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, like not only have I just beaten this, I've just sailed past your yeah, high score, yeah, which I yeah. saw on there. And then I got a fucking email back from him going like, oh, I just got 480. <laughs> and now I'm not sleeping tonight. Quite a while ago, I played a game on the Switch. I can't remember if I talked about this on the show or not, called Cycle 28. And it was like a, a shoot 'em up type thing that you got a chunk of story again every time you beat your high score. 
And I didn't realize that when I first started playing. And there's nothing else to it. It's like you're purely going for score. There's nothing else to unlock. It's just seeing the story. And I was mm. really into it. I got quite good at the game. And then, like you said, I had one run where I did incredibly well. And then I didn't beat my score for a further 10 hours. And I was like, yeah. well, if I want to actually finish this game, I'm going to delete my save and I'm going to get yeah. a score of one. And then I'm going to get a score of two. Yeah. And then I'm going to push it to five like that instead of like my 40,000 score I got the first time. Yeah. So it's it's not perfect, but it's still, you know, something to push you along. That's what I've been doing now with the Super Hexagon. I got an email from somebody <laughs> yeah. and he's like, oh, I've got 61. I'm like, Haha, guess who's getting 62? <laughs> <laughs> On the nose. <laughs> I think, as you mentioned, there's loads of really good games in this. You know, you've got the ones that are kind of direct analogs, pastiches, whatever we're going to call it. You've got some that are kind of quite unique, like blockchain. The ones I've really enjoyed this week, I really like Line Terror, which is this game's version oh, of Kicks, and it, it's yeah. it's an acquired taste of an arcade game Wind because me you're up. you're basically trying to draw lines to section off pieces of a board whilst avoiding other roaming enemies. And there is an in-game goal to beat the third stage, and it probably took me three hours to do that easily because it's really tough but in a proper arcade fashion which a lot of these games are a bit softer but for this one it's very much the arcade way that the first stage is a relative gimme you can do it quite easily the second has a a decent Mm. ramp up and by the third onwards it's almost impossible You're, you're really playing for luck as well as skill and i did it it took a long time but it's definitely a case of needing practice and good fortune yeah Another game I've really enjoyed is called Graffiti Balls. I haven't got the hang of that yet. It's, it's tough to, to figure out. Like, it's a strange puzzler that you unlock quite late in the game. It's one of the last ones you have access to. And it works a little bit like the ascending merging gameplay of something like Threes or 2084. So it's quite visual and tactile. You're launching balls up the play field. And then as they bump into each other, they'll change color to kind of the next tier. And then you bump two of those to get to the next tier and you, you're going for score that way. That might be why I'd be getting confused. I do wonder if it's a colorblindness <laughs> thing. That's going to be quite tough. So yeah, have, have a little look. But it does take time to learn. But if you can see it, <laughs> it's good fun. And then the other one you've already mentioned, Barkanoid, the, the dog, oh, so Arkanoid clone. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of brick-breaking games generally. Although my usual criticism that you just need a bit more direct control over the ball is still a problem here because it's just, you know, you're you're at the whim of where it thinks it's bounced off your paddle and that sort of thing. So it can be quite aggravating, but I still happily found myself playing it for a good hour or so mm. and ticked off all of its in-game goals in one sitting. Nice. So I enjoyed it a lot. If I keep trucking along at the pace I have so far, I think I'll probably beat this game entirely by the end of this week, like all achievements, wow. all in-game unlockables, everything. But we'll see. You know, I've, I've got to the end of the game. I've seen the credits. I've got all the main stuff. So I could call it a day, but I'm enjoying it too much. And it's easily <laughs> in the front running for my game of the year in yeah. terms of what I've actually put time into, what I've truly enjoyed. And yeah, just can't say enough positives, really. I really, really have loved it. Have you played anything else other than Arcade Paradise? Because I haven't. <laughs> I have. I have. And I want to quickly say that I finished the story of Bloom. Oh, yes. Yeah, I got to the end of it. It was beautiful and moving. And I continued to check in with the game just to sort of finish getting all the gacha collectibles yeah. and fully yeah. upgrade my garden and stuff like that. But it, it's it's a wonderful wonderful game and i'm really really glad it exists i I can't wait to see what rng party are developing next for the play date i know that when we spoke to them a couple of seasons ago they were making a sort of kirby's tilt and tumbler like game yeah so i'm not sure if that's progressed or been shelved but they are such great developers that you know i'm sure whatever they release next will be will be excellent so uh, yeah well done those boys there and unfortunately well okay (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, <laughs> let's 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 talk about the lechonk in the room. Pokemon Violet has released, and I yes. got it, and I've played it. I mean, I'm sure anyone listening to this will know or have read the the discourse about how absolutely appalling this game is performing in terms of technical performance of the yeah. game. It is shocking and frankly embarrassing that a game like this is, <laughs> is has been released. I will say that from the sort of hour and a bit I've played there, I've already seen some nice sort of new additions to the series and there are some sort of good and exciting new mechanics and some nicely designed new Pokemon. You know, the gameplay is f- fine and I haven't personally experienced any glitches or bugs that have interfered massively with the way the game plays in terms of like no like hard crashes or game breaking bugs which i have seen people you know experience online and that just massively sets me on edge whilst playing the game i i I can't relax playing it but the the technical performance is is horrid (laughs) it it is it really is like i've never seen it run even close to 20 frames per second yeah let alone 30 which it's probably aiming for Pop-in is happening very randomly and also a lot, <laughs> given the fact that it's open world and you've got a free camera. You can sort of just whiz the camera around and, and you'll, you'll certainly catch the world with its pants down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not there. It's just not there. And yeah. whenever like the camera cuts in, in like a, a battle, like if it cuts to, you know, a different angle to see, like you catch the Pokemon or something, there'll be something popping in. You'll even get things like tiny little shitty bushes that just like appear in front of you. And it'd be one thing if like the art style was amazing, but it's not, it's, it's so poor. Like yeah. if, yeah. Like if you look at a still of the game, so you don't even take into consideration how it's running, you look at a still of the game, it is so butt ugly. <laughs> it's deeply unsatisfying to uh, to engage with. I'll talk a bit about the gameplay because, you know, obviously that's the important thing. And it is the important thing. I I I'm not haven't been massively sold on this new gimmick of this generation, which is called terastalizing. Uh, that's a word. Yep, it is now. Uh, it basically <laughs> means that a Pokemon has a chance to have a, a different type. So in addition to, say, like my water type starter Pokemon, Quaxley, who's uh, obviously great, he could have a terror type of fire. And then if I terastalize him in a battle, his type would change to fire and it would power up any fire type moves he's got. And I think like any Pokemon has a chance to have a terror type of anything, but it is usually the same type as your Pokemon standard type. So, you know, usually if you terastalize your Pokemon, it just gets stronger at its its main thing. So it's good to find a special terror Pokemon who can wield, you know, two different types. And it gets a crystal hat, depending on what type it's terastalized <laughs> into. Love a hat. It's it's not any different from the last like three generations of Pokemon where you had like Mega Evolution, then you had Zed moves, then you had Gigantamaxing. It's basically just different ways of doing the same thing, which is giving your Pokemon a boost in battle. And it's a shame that like none of these mechanics, I mean, all of them have just been like one and done per generation. I really like Mega Revolutions uh, when they came in. I think that was a really fun way of sort of developing the design of some Pokemon that we already knew. Gigantamaxing, I really enjoyed in in Sword and Shield. Even though, uh, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really do much for your battle strategy, but it made the battles feel more like events. And it turned some battles into like what felt like boss fights. Um, and, and that sort of thing is kind of still here in Violet because they've got terror raids instead of the uh, max raids in uh, Sword and Shield where you team up with three other trainers, either like AI or you can summon them online. And then you'll take down like a big 
rare sparkly Pokemon. But I would just, I'd like to see the series commit to a system rather than just trying something new each generation. Like it feels like I've said, it's a really good foundation for what will come next for, <laughs> for the 10 last years. <laughs> yeah, literally for the last like four or five generations of, of this game. And I think the rate at which they're churning them out is really feeding into that rather than like stopping reflecting on what the series should be and developing something of real quality and class. They're just rushing from one idea to the next, to the next, to the next, and clearly not releasing stuff that's of the standard they should be. I know, I know we've got two factors at play here between like the Pokemon company and Game Freak, who are actually making the game. And clearly the Pokemon company feel that they should be releasing two big Pokemon games a year. And I don't think, to be honest, they even need to release one a year. No. Like if we had four years between generations, I'd be fine with that. And then like the interceding two year could be filled with a spin-off like Pokemon Legends Arceus or, or one of the remakes that like they've been doing. But also, it's clear that Game Freak needs support with the technical development of these games because, I mean, Sword and Shield was a bit ropey in places. Basically, I mean, like X and Y was just about okay if you didn't play with 3D on. And then <laughs> <laughs> Sun and Moon played okay because they disabled 3D in that. And then Sword and Shield was like, okay, until it got to too much stuff and now this is just this game is by far the worst looking and running game i've played on the switch from a major publisher it's yeah. significantly worse than 99 percent of the indie games i've played as well it runs worse and it looks worse than the witcher 3 port which that game was intelligently ported making sure to retain enough of the essentials to the gameplay experience to keep the game enjoyable despite being quite vaseline to look at yeah but if you compare pokemon violet to something like the xenoblade games or Monster Hunter Rise, or even Breath of the Wild, which is almost six years old now, yeah, yeah. there is no excuse for a major developer or its publisher to deliver something of this poor quality. I think more than anything else, the thing that's wound me up is it shows a lack of respect yeah. for, for the gamer. Yeah. It's just saying, ah, it's good enough for them. You know, They'll lap it up because it's Pokemon. It doesn't need to be that good. And unfortunately, it's true because I'm going to keep playing this game. <laughs> and uh, and it will sell gangbusters as well yeah of course it will of course it will and you know and i, and I know that I've, I've spoken with people who are playing it and enjoying it despite it being a bit ropey but you know what i would love to see i'd love to see the reins of the series handed over to someone like monolith or capcom to see what they can do or at the very least like see game freak have a year off and then have some support from one of those developers to actually yeah. deliver a Pokemon game of real technical quality, one that represents the series as a Nintendo flagship series. I know it's easy to like blame the low power Switch console itself and to say maybe the first Pokemon game on the next generation Switch, that will be the one to really deliver on, on this vision that they have for the series. And, and the vision isn't the issue. Game Freak clearly have a great Pokemon game that they're trying to make. They're just not delivering on that yeah and and that issue will not be solved by having more powerful hardware to work with if they're not building these games intelligently we've heard the stories about how uh, satori iwata came in during the development of gold and silver and basically waved his magic brain wand over it to turn <laughs> it into like 10 times the game that you know it, it was looking at at the start yeah and yeah that's 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 what needs to be done i think it's a shame because like i said the ambition is there the design is there i have no problem with any of these things but for whatever reason somewhere along the line the ball's being dropped massively and i don't think the pokemon company can say oh yeah you know we need to release this many games this many years otherwise we won't be the most financially successful 
video gaming franchise in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that, that, that is unadulterated greed. If that's why they're saying we need to release two games a year and that is only making their audience suffer because of that. And it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Agreed. And I'm not even a fan, but yeah, agreed. So I will continue to play it, particularly now that I have run the credits on Arcade Paradise. I, I, I play like five minutes of Pokemon and be like, oh, send me back to the laundrette. <laughs> King Wash. Yeah, yeah. That's a good name. We've had a lot of like good names and, and things recently, but I think King Wash is genuinely... King Wash. Like, could be a great band name. King Wash. Yeah, King Wash, yeah. That's like a proper... That's a punk name. King Wash. I'm going to start that band. I'm going to register kingwash.bandcamp.com right now. Not if I do it first. It's a play date. 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 It's playdate time. Let's crank this bad boy up and see what season one has to offer this time. Two games. Yes. Two games. That's what I mean, that's the deal, isn't it? Every week, two games from Panic. It's part of season one. And first game that uh, arrived in this installment is a little game called Flipper Lifter. And Flipper Flipper Lifter is a simple little score chasing game where you need to ferry penguins about using the little playdate crank as the control mechanism operating lifts in various environments and different environments there are <laughs> and when i first booted the game up i was uh, i was playing in the first level which is a hotel and uh, after a few seconds of, of moving a penguin up or down the floors of this hotel depending on where they wanted to go i thought i'd basically seen everything the game had to had to offer penguins would surely come thicker and faster grow more impatient until my timer ran out buckling under the workload of penguin ferriage <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and this this is this would have been true if the different levels that you unlock didn't actually give quite a significant amount of variety which yeah. i was i was quite surprised at you got like i mean construction zones mining quarries even even outer space and they're all endless levels. So once you've got a handle on the different mechanics for the different levels, then it's pretty much up to you how much replay value you get out of the game. I, I've said before that, you know, I'm not a huge score chaser type guy, but I have played 400 hours of Arcade Paradise this week. <laughs> so who knows? Woodcow Jr. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. I love it. But yeah, Flipper Lifter, it's a nice little game. It's, it can be quite addictive and it's, you don't just get five levels to choose from. You have to unlock them and you have to unlock them by earning stars on the previous levels. And it can be quite challenging to actually yeah. get, yeah. you know, get the scores required to unlock the next level. So you can get sort of sucked in quite easily. It's not just kind of, uh, I think the issue I have with score chases is like, well, how do I know if I've completed it? Because even if, even if I, even if I get the world record, fucking Sam could come in and say, <laughs> one higher. so it's nice to kind of be like, okay, well, yeah, this level could go on forever, but all I really need to do is get to a hundred and then I can play the next one. So it's yeah. nice to have these sort of little smaller incremental sort of goals to go for. And like we said on our last play date update, it's, it's easy to underestimate the games that are really smooth and polished. Yeah, and for sure. this certainly, certainly is one of those. It's a very nice game with some very nice penguins. And I'm glad it's on my system. But how did you get on with it, Chris, as the resident arcade score chaser? How much did it flip your lift? <laughs> I liked it a lot. I think it's nice in particular because it's very tactile. 
there's a lot of small touches, I think, in the way that the lifts are controlled and kind of how that feels in the hands. Like, mm. I really like how the lift is slightly harder to raise when it's got more penguins inside it. It's a very subtle yeah. thing, but it didn't have to be there. And it does make the game more engaging to have to actually crank it that little bit harder. It's other bits as well. Like, I like that the lifts kind of sticks to the floor, almost like auto-aim in a first-person yeah. shooter on a console. Because again, it could be incredibly frustrating. It was like, no, you're a pixel off, do it better. Yeah. It's like, it, it knows when to kind of say, that's fine, that's fine. Like, load them up, let's send them off again. And it's all the other little things, like the tiny animations for the penguins when they're getting impatient and they kind of have a little Always funny. storm off. It's just a good score attack game. And as you say, it's got a decent amount of content, which is something that we could not say for old Whitewater Wipeout. <laughs> yeah, one level. I think this is a real showcase for how a simple game can still have a bit of depth. Because yeah, you're just cranking up and down. You're hoping you get lucky with the penguin spawns. But there is also a strategy here beyond just practicing how accurately you can spin the crank. It's more than just the control that makes it kind of engaging. And yeah, a nice time. Lovely music too. Uh. It's got a similar airy vibe to what was in Yonder and Grow. Like I did some Googling mm. just in case it was like, oh, that's actually someone I've heard before. Yeah. But no, it's their, it's their first game as a composer. And it just contributes to it being an all round nice time, I think. Yeah, we love it. We love penguins. We love penguins. How did you get on with the other game that was released? And I believe that is called Echoic Memory. 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 It's quite a strange one, mm. as games go. And it's most simple. It's essentially a game of pairs, I suppose, except instead of memorising pictures, you are using auditory recall to hear a sound and then find the sound on kind of a board of other sounds. The basic gameplay is that you're presented with a short piece of music, usually a few bars, and then you're attempting to match it with one of kind of a small selection. As the game goes on, the selection get a bit grander, a bit greater. But at first, it's just a case of listening through the samples to find the match. Easy peasy. But in time, the clips then become more distorted or they have certain frequencies cut, meaning that you'll need to use the crank of the playdate to try and manipulate the sounds to be clearer. So perhaps the initial sound has had like a high pass filter applied. So you're only hearing treble or vice versa. So you're only getting bass and the crank might help you bring back just enough audio detail for you to be able to make the proper match. You've got two modes here. There's a straight matching game where you set parameters yourself as to the genre of music clips, the number of audio clips you've got to, to look through. And then there's also a story mode, which is where I've spent the majority of my time because it seems like that is the single player game, essentially. The central conceit for the story is that by making these audio matches, you are restoring memories in sentient boom boxes, mm. in essence, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it's odd. But the setting gives license to some quite nice nonsense dialogue between matching scenes, which break up the challenges more than just being back-to-back -back audio clips. I think there are some strange parallels to Pick Pack Pup in a roundabout way, in the game's narrative at least, because in Echoic Memory, you're again a production line worker. There's an air of capitalist dystopia in the dialogue. Mm. There's also like a little hint of cyberpunk in the low-life sort of high-tech divide that comes with playing a factory technician for a device as over-engineered as an AI-powered stereo. <laughs> and when the machines you're working on are fixed, they often blur out some strange non-sequitur dialogue, which gave me Kentucky Route Zero vibes at times. Yeah. Just little poetic snippets describing places or characters or things, divorced of context, but just quite nicely written. Mm. It's, it's well put together, I think. The central task of listening and cranking and matching is pretty nicely implemented too. And I think alongside some of the other games in the season and beyond, what it really does is showcases the audio capabilities of the play date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because 
it's very limited hardware, but it's hiding quite a powerful audio driver mm. because as it's pushing out some jazz or some punk or some other bits and bobs, it all sounds surprisingly solid, even when played through the machine's piddly little mono speaker. A criticism I do have, though, is that sometimes you have to crank an awful lot before you start hearing a difference in the music. A couple of times I was like, oh, I guess I can't really change this one. I'm just sort of flying blind. But no, it's just that you need to really get winding. And I think smaller, more granular movements might have felt better for this sort of tuning action. So it feels a bit mm. more, you know, like you've got a radio, you're trying to find the, the exact frequency, as opposed to just endlessly spinning and hoping 500 turns later you find something decent. Yeah. It does work, though. It does work. My real issue with this game is that it's too easy, at least for me. Now, I'm making that caveat because I'm a person who's been involved in music for the last 20, 25 years of my life, as I know you have too. And yeah. these days, like teaching music now to students, I'm sure that some of them would struggle with these puzzles. But if you've got a reasonable ear, I don't think echoic memory is going to tax you that much. Once you're a bit further into the game, each clip you hear can have maybe four or eight or 12 or 20 eventually potential matches. And obviously this does make the task a bit tougher as there's usually at least two options that are deliberately quite similar in rhythm and key. But again, in the time I've played, I've yet to make a mistake, even with time <laughs> counting down each time. Yeah. And I'm well into the third act of the game now, I believe. And although things have got a bit tougher, it's just too slow a difficulty curve, I think, to really be satisfying as I'm solving these now. It's more like I'm just doing it by rote to kind of push the thing along rather than actually yeah. thinking I'm having to figure these puzzles out. Basically, I just I think there's more that could be done there. And that's my biggest takeaway. Like nothing is bad, nothing is offensive, nothing's broken or ill-judged. It's a really nice game and product. It just doesn't quite go far enough with that central concept for me. Because you could give the player a proper suite of auditory controls if you really want. You could have a full EQ mixer to manipulate a garbled track until it becomes clear enough to pair up. Or you could make certain puzzles use a combination of frequency filters and tempo and pitch, meaning that you could get really stuck in to sort of play back the clip properly. Just obfuscate it more so you're at a point where you're actually having to think carefully about what can I hear, what yeah. I can't I hear. And approaching it more is like you're a sound detective. You're not just trying to match yeah. it perfectly and go, oh yeah, there you go, it's the same thing. The game is obviously made by people with an interest in audio design and music. It wouldn't exist otherwise. And to be honest, they're clearly interested in the wider implications and applications of like sensory memory and recall and how our brains work. And it's a shame then that it doesn't really push that idea far enough to really make good on that concept. Mm. But like I said, the art is really nice. I really do like how a lot of these developers are using the one bit screen to have a lot of detail in them. I don't know. It's just, you have to be quite creative in how you actually leverage that when people get it right. It does work nicely. Like I said, the audio and the music has a real punch to it. The story and the narrative are really carefully played out to be basically as backseat as you want or as present as you want. You know, if you want to read into it, if you want to try and get more involved, you can. If you just want to skip by and do the puzzles, they're there as well. But the gameplay, as solid as it is, doesn't quite do enough for me. Mm. What did you think, Master Dunn? I, I really liked it. I definitely agree with what you're saying. And I think it's it's bound to be a difficult one to pitch in terms yeah. of like the developers in terms of where the difficulty is and i think having the difficulty be steeper yeah. in a different way because the problem i had is that when it starts being more than like four eight different things to go through yeah it just felt like this now isn't challenging the same part of my brain as those earlier ones which is like trying to isolate different audio yeah. tracks in my in my mind and i like that being the puzzle and i wanted to see a development of that type of thinking rather than just like can you do that whilst also trying to remember which one's where 
Yeah, yeah. Because I don't find that interesting. I find like matching games like, oh, you got to remember, I just, it pisses me off. <laughs> just put the pictures on the other side. Yeah, let me see where they are. <laughs> yeah, you absolute idiots. But I really, like you said, I really like the tone of this game. Yeah. I think it wouldn't have surprised me if David Lynch had been involved. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I know that like David Lynch is really interested in this type of audio sort of soundscape and stuff like this and the way that he's used soundscapes in his films to create different sensations in the in the audience beyond just, I like the sound of this, I don't like the sound of this. Yeah. How does this actually physically make me respond? Which is why a razor head is so horribly uncomfortable to <laughs> yeah, watch. It's a tough it's, watch. It's, yeah, because it, it, literally, if you watch it with the sound off, it's fine. Yeah. It's mad. I think more could have been done with it. More can be done with it because it's really, again, like we've seen with some of the other games on the play date, you think, actually, this, this game is, is made me think in an entirely new way for a game. And it's because it's on the play date that, yeah. you know, that it's doing that. I, I think this game could be on something else. Yeah. It is nice yeah. having that responsive nature with the crank. And there is something very satisfying about that tuning, like you said, like tuning of a radio and stuff like that. And again, I think that could have been developed further because there's something quite nice about getting into that meticulous sort of nature of, of finding exactly the right bit and really sort of tuning it and tweaking it until you get it like absolutely just right. Yeah, It's one of those ones where I can't really say, like with Pokemon, oh, you should do this better and, and the game would be better. I can't necessarily say what I specifically what I want from this game for it to be a better game and I think that's a credit to the game in the fact that it's doing something that is new and different and I want to see more of that yeah and I want to be I want to be sort of fed with more surprise and 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 to sort of have my mind blown a little bit more by some of these concepts but you know it's easy for me to say that I'm not making it (laughs) I think there's there's an element of it when I was doing my art degree I used to have arguments with my tutors sometimes because I would have an idea for something and I'd make essentially a proof of concept to say, okay, I've done a little performance or I've made something. And I think I've essentially delivered on what the original concept was. And they'd Mm. say, okay, well, how are you going to refine that? How are you going to push that forward? And I was like, well, I'm not, I've proved my point. Like I I did the thing. I said, I wanted to do X and Y I've done X and Y regardless of what it looked like or how it kind of appeared aesthetically or anything like that. It's like, I've done the thing I wanted to do. I've I've met the intention I had to start with. And I think maybe for smaller games, that's more what we should think about sometimes. It's like, okay, what was the developer's intention to to make a product like this, to make a game like this? Have they delivered on that? Does it feel like they've kind of like really fleshed it out to what they kind of were going for to start with? And then I guess anything beyond that is kind of a bonus sometimes because these are smaller mm. products, aren't they? They're, they're smaller games. They're the type of things where maybe you'll come back in the future and play Echoic Memory again. Maybe you won't. And maybe you're not supposed to. Maybe it's the type of thing you should just kind of keep as a memory that you play it through. You think I had a nice time. I like those bits of it. And then that's what you carry with you forwards as opposed to it being something that you're like, well, I need to do my yearly play of this game. Yeah. It's just different ways of contextualizing what we play and what we engage with. Pokemon is a different experience to Arcade Paradise, which in turn is a different experience to Echoic Memory. And I guess not just experience, but they're different in terms of intentionality as well. You've got very big games that people say, well, I spent two months playing that and I had a great time and isn't God of War a fantastic time or whatever. And then you'll have other things where it's like, I played it for 10 minutes on my phone. I saw the end and I think that's good enough. If you think like stuff like um, Florence yeah. is a good example of that. It's like, I don't feel I need to play that again, but no. I will not forget when I played it before. Yeah. We'll see. It's games, isn't it? So there we go. Those are the latest uh, two Playdate games. Flipper Lifter, Echoic Memory. Not bad. I think. Good. 
Pretty good week. Pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. good week. Yeah. The next play date in a fortnight's time, we are going to be covering the next two games, which are Demon Quest 85 and Oh Maze. Have you played the first 84 Demon Quest games? Ah, oh, no, I haven't. Do I need to have done? I, I think ideally it is a continuous story. You might want to just bone up. At least like read the Wikipedia page. Yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I'll have, I'll have a look at that. Have you played A Maze, B Maze, C Maze, D Maze? <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be coming in two weeks' time. Next week, we're going to be checking back in with our Fortnite report, Chris's Tufa prehistoric journey of Jurassic Park on the NES and the Lost World Jurassic Park on the Saturn. Yes. So excited. <laughs> and, and I'll be telling you uh, how I've got on with... Cave Noir on the Game Boy. Cave Noir on the Game Boy, the roguelike from 1991. Oh, who'd have thought? Me. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do consider supporting the podcast on patreon patreon.com slash o3c games go to our website o3c.games have a look at our articles read our reviews look at our videos head over to the support page if you want to share the website or the podcast on your social media platforms there's even a one-off paypal donation button if you don't want to subscribe to patreon you can always consider chucking us a few quid to say thanks very much by PayPal, we'd very much appreciate that. You can reach out to us individually. I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am still at Chaz underscore Hodges. And we will be back next week with a Fortnite report. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt bradley Shergi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the HyperX Podcast Network. If you're a shrewd shopper, it's about to be your favorite time of the year. HyperX will be running massive sales for the holiday season. Get up to 50% off some of their most popular products, like the Ultra Comfy Cloud 2 headset, the tough, responsive Alloy Origins mechanical keyboard, and the fan favorite Quadcast USB microphone. Sales will be going on at all major e-tailers, but be sure to head to HyperX.com and sign up for the newsletter to get the scoop on the biggest possible deals. Happy holidays from O3C Games and HyperX.